The legal regime governing the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or ASEAN, changed significantly after the passage and entry into force of the ASEAN Charter on December 15, 2008. For 40 years before the ASEAN Charter, 10 ASEAN states, namely the original ASEAN Five of Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, plus newer members Brunei Darussalam and the CMLV countries, Cambodia, Myanmar, Laos, and Vietnam, dealt with each other regionally under a loose intergovernmental cooperation formed under the 1976 Treaty of Amity and Cooperation in Southeast Asia and the 1967 ASEAN-Bangkok Declaration. Under the ASEAN Charter, these ASEAN member states formalized their regional cooperation across three pillar communities, political security, economic, and sociocultural communities that were created under the institutional framework provided for in the ASEAN Charter. Under the ASEAN Charter, all 10 ASEAN member states affirmed, among others, that they adhere to the principles of democracy, the rule of law and good governance, respect for and protection of human rights and fundamental freedoms, while also respecting the fundamental importance of amity and cooperation, and the principles of sovereignty, equality, territorial integrity, non-interference, consensus, and unity and diversity. Regional integration under ASEAN, therefore, seeks to create a single market and production base, which is stable, prosperous, highly competitive, and economically integrated, with effective facilitation for trade and investment, in which there is free flow of goods, services, and investment, facilitated movement of business persons, professionals, talents, and labor, and freer flow of capital, which would also alleviate poverty and narrow the development gap within ASEAN through mutual assistance and cooperation, as well as promote sustainable development so as to ensure the protection of the region's environment, the sustainability of its natural resources, the preservation of its cultural heritage, and the high quality of life of its people. This lecture will discuss the legal regime of ASEAN law and regional integration in three parts. First, I will discuss the sources of ASEAN law and the unique nature of Southeast Asia's regional integration, focusing on key lawmaking institutions in the region and the ASEAN member states to show how authoritative decisions are made for the region under the charter-based ASEAN, and the status of 40 years' worth of treaties and other ASEAN instruments concluded while ASEAN was a loose intergovernmental cooperation. Second, I proceed to examine the ASEAN regional governance framework and how this model, unlike the European Union, creates ASEAN law what I call norms and other legally binding rules at the regional level, but ultimately leaves implementation of ASEAN law to the ASEAN member states' national courts and executive branches. Finally, I will discuss the spectrum of ASEAN dispute settlement options, regional, hybrid, and national, demonstrating that 
While ASEAN has not thus far created a standing adjudicative body for disputes among its member states, it has instead designed bespoke dispute settlement options, especially throughout many of its new economic agreements. I conclude with some observations on the future trajectory of international law, considering the distinct contributions of ASEAN law and regional integration. Turning to the sources of ASEAN law and the unique nature of Southeast Asia's regional integration. ASEAN's regional integration process builds from its experiences of horizontal, interagency, and intersectoral economic cooperation before the passage of the ASEAN Charter. Accordingly, ASEAN's model of integration is not as deep as that of the European Union, which purposely institutionalizes regional competences throughout the governmental functions of lawmaking, law enforcement, and legal interpretation. Under the ASEAN Charter, ASEAN seeks to maintain centrality and its proactive role as the primary driving force in its relations and cooperation with its external partners in a regional architecture that is open, transparent, and inclusive. In doing this, ASEAN and its member states bound themselves to act according to international law, such as by upholding the United Nations Charter and international law, including international humanitarian law, subscribed to by ASEAN member states, and by adhering to multilateral trade rules and ASEAN's rules-based regimes for effective implementation of economic commitments and progressive reduction towards elimination of all barriers to regional economic integration in a market-driven economy. The ASEAN Charter acknowledges that, as an intergovernmental organization, ASEAN possesses international legal personality. The Charter makes it mandatory for all ASEAN member states to take all necessary measures, including the enactment of appropriate domestic legislation, to effectively implement the provisions of this Charter and to comply with all obligations of membership. In this manner, ASEAN member states are obligated to implement within their respective jurisdictions any and all decisions of ASEAN, particularly its supreme policy-making body, the ASEAN Summit. While the ASEAN Summit decides according to consultation and consensus, the ASEAN Summit may also decide when a specific decision can be made or how a specific decision can be made if consensus cannot be achieved. Considering its 40-year history of regional practices and concluding treaties, agreements, and other instruments before the passage of the ASEAN Charter, ASEAN member states explicitly committed under the Charter to reaffirm and adhere to the fundamental principles contained in the declarations, agreements, conventions, concords, treaties, and other instruments of ASEAN. This is why the Charter provides for legal continuity stressing that all treaties, conventions, agreements, concords, declarations, protocols, and other ASEAN instruments, which have been in effect before the entry into force of this charter, shall continue to be valid. Now, noting the accretion of 40 years' worth of legal instruments, coupled with the treaties and agreements that were passed under the charter era, 
It has become to date an archaeologic task to locate and identify the applicable and binding ASEAN law. The sources of ASEAN law, therefore, are immense, and not all have been fully identified, indexed, or catalogued. There is to date no central repository of the ASEAN Secretariat that publishes or makes available all of the agreements, treaties, concords, communiques, and other instruments concluded in the 40 years before the passage of the ASEAN Charter. And at present, there are decentralized efforts to make ASEAN regulations, treaties, and other agreements available across different websites, from the ASEAN Secretariat website, which includes the list of ASEAN's basic documents, as well as an ASEAN legal instruments portal. ASEAN law, roughly described, can thus be seen from the following non-exhaustive enumeration. One, the ASEAN Charter, including its 14 key principles. Two, decisions taken by the ASEAN Summit, which are binding on all ASEAN member states. Three, treaties concluded by ASEAN on a regional basis and ratified by the ASEAN member states. And four, any treaties, agreements, concords, declarations, protocols, and ASEAN instruments concluded before the passage of the ASEAN Charter and which remain valid and enforced as provided for in Article 52.1 of the ASEAN Charter. Noting these sources of ASEAN law, one can understand why ASEAN's model of regional integration has been nothing like the European Union's path of deep integration. ASEAN economic integration focuses mainly on 12 priority integration sectors, agro-based products, air travel, automotives, e-ASEAN, electronics, fisheries, healthcare, rubber-based products, textiles and apparels, tourism, and wood-based products. The ASEAN Economic Community Blueprint describes the ASEAN Economic Community, or AEC, as the realization of the end goal of integration espoused in ASEAN Vision 2020, which is based on a convergence of interests of ASEAN member countries to deepen and broaden economic integration through existing and new initiatives and clear timelines. In establishing the AEC, ASEAN shall act in accordance to the principles of an open, outward-looking, inclusive, and market-driven economy consistent with multilateral rules as well as adherence to rules-based systems for effective compliance and implementation of economic commitments. The AEC will establish ASEAN as a single market and production base, making ASEAN more dynamic and competitive with new mechanisms and measures to strengthen the implementation of its existing economic initiatives accelerating regional integration in the priority sectors, facilitating movement of business persons, skilled labor and talents, and strengthening the institutional mechanisms of ASEAN. The AEC will address the development divide and accelerate integration of the CMLV countries through the Initiative for ASEAN Integration and other regional initiatives. The AEC envisages the following key characteristics. A, a single market and production base. B, a highly competitive economic region. C, a region of equitable economic development. And D, a region fully integrated into the global economy. 
ASEAN single market and production base is based on five core elements, namely, first, the free flow of goods, second, free flow of services, third, free flow of investment, fourth, freer flow of capital, and fifth, free flow of skilled labor. Turning to the first, the free flow of goods in ASEAN is mainly facilitated through the Common Effective Preferential Tariffs for ASEAN Free Trade Area Agreement, or the CEPT-AFTA, which is under review to ensure the elimination of tariffs according to the schedules and commitments set out in this agreement and other related ASEAN agreements. The CEPT-AFTA also provides for technical rules of origin to determine the nationality of goods. ASEAN is working towards the elimination of non-tariff barriers, trade facilitation, and the modernization and integration of customs valuation, harmonized customs procedures and techniques, a regional customs system that facilitates the movement of goods, and the ASEAN single window, which integrates all the single windows of the ASEAN member states for regionally synchronous processing of customs data and clearance information. As to the second element, the free flow of services in ASEAN, on the other hand, is facilitated through the ASEAN Coordinating Committee on Services, which seeks to remove substantially all restrictions to trade and services, such as in the areas of air transport, e-ASEAN, healthcare and tourism, and ultimately in financial services. For the third element of the AEC, the free flow of investment in the ASEAN region it is largely facilitated through the 2009 ASEAN Comprehensive Investment Agreement and several other ASEAN regional investment treaties with external partners such as Australia and New Zealand, China, South Korea, Japan, India, among others. Apart from the ASEAN regional investment treaties, each ASEAN member state maintains its own bilateral and or plurilateral investment treaty program as part of its own corpus of economic agreements. As to the free flow of capital in ASEAN, this remains a work in progress for the harmonization of capital market standards and the relaxation of ASEAN member states' respective restrictions on capital mobility, as with the free flow of skilled labor, which is facilitated narrowly with visas and employment passes for ASEAN professionals, and with visa-free entry for all ASEAN member state passport, passport holders. I now turn to discuss how ASEAN seeks to achieve the objectives of its model of integration using its unique regional governance framework. The ASEAN Regional Governance Framework. As previously mentioned, the main constitutive instruments of pre-charter ASEAN are the 1976 Treaty of Amity and Cooperation in Southeast Asia and the 1967 ASEAN-Bangkok Declaration, both of which define the terms of Southeast Asian intergovernmental cooperation under very narrow and limited ad hoc machinery, with agendas set by ASEAN governments at annual and special meetings. Before these meetings, ASEAN implemented its regional agenda through semi-permanent standing committees, ad hoc committees, and permanent committees of specialists that work alongside their counterpart national secretariats within ASEAN member states. 
1976 Treaty of Amity and Cooperation spelled out the best efforts nature of this cooperation in economic, social, technical, scientific, administrative, and security areas, always limited by ASEAN's overarching principles of mutual respect for the independence, sovereignty, equality, territorial integrity, and national identity of all nations the right of every state to lead its national existence free from external interference, subversion or coercion, non-interference in the internal affairs of one another, settlement of dis differences or disputes by peaceful means, renunciation of the threat or use of force, and effective cooperation. Dispute settlement under the 1976 TAC, or Treaty of Amity and Cooperation, is to be conducted firstly through direct ministerial negotiations, where if such negotiations fail, ASEAN member states could pursue dispute resolution through good offices, mediation, inquiry, or conciliation, informal or ad hoc third-party assistance of a fellow member state, or recourse to any of the modes of peaceful settlement of disputes under the Charter of the United Nations. ASEAN cooperation in the pre-charter era thus featured more lawmaking and law-implementing functions rather than formal judicial oversight or interpretation. The ASEAN Leader Summit was the official intergovernmental body of pre-charter ASEAN, where treaties, regulatory instruments, and other agreements were signed at the most senior level by Southeast Asian heads of state. ASEAN charter institutions nominally continue much of pre-charter ASEAN's horizontally embedded bureaucracy with some distinctions. The pre-charter ASEAN Leader Summit was replaced by the ASEAN Summit, composed of the heads of state of the ASEAN member states, and which is mandated to meet at least semi-annually, convening special or ad hoc sessions in between each meeting when necessary. The ASEAN Summit has more expansive and consolidated policy-making, administrative, decision-making, and oversight authority to guide various levels of the ASEAN bureaucracy. As the supreme policy-making body of ASEAN, which deliberates, provides policy guidance, and takes decisions on key issues pertaining to the realization of the objectives of, of ASEAN, the ASEAN Summit also resolves issues referred to it by the ASEAN Coordinating Council, which connects the work of the ASEAN Political Security Community Council, the ASEAN Economic Community Council, and the ASEAN Sociocultural Community Council. The ASEAN Summit also directly instructs ASEAN Council Ministers to hold ad hoc interministerial meetings and address important issues concerning ASEAN that cut across the community councils. The ASEAN Summit also authorizes the establishment and dissolution of sectoral ministerial bodies and other ASEAN institutions. The ASEAN Charter also created the Office of the ASEAN Secretary General and the Permanent Secretariat, the Committee of Permanent Representatives to ASEAN, and the ASEAN National Secretariats. In addition to the plenary rulemaking powers of the ASEAN Summit, it also has broadly worded and unspecified powers, such as the power to address emergency situations affecting ASEAN by taking, and I quote, appropriate actions. The ASEAN Summit, to a certain degree, 
has some quasi-judicial oversight. Under the ASEAN Charter, the ASEAN Summit is empowered to decide on matters referred to it under Chapter 7, Decision Making, and 8, Settlement of Disputes. While the ASEAN Charter maintains consultation or, and consensus rule, otherwise known as the Mushawara Mufakat rule, it does permit the ASEAN Summit flexibility to devise alternative forms of decision making when consensus cannot be achieved. While the Charter provides for dispute settlement as provided in specific ASEAN instruments, such as the ASEAN Protocol on Enhanced Dispute Settlement Mechanism and the 1976 Treaty on Amity and Cooperation, the ASEAN Summit also has the explicit authority to decide disputes that remain unresolved notwithstanding the application of other dispute settlement procedures within the Charter framework. Thus, when a dispute remains unresolved after the application of the preceding provisions of this relevant chapter of the ASEAN Charter, the dispute shall be referred to the ASEAN Summit for its decision. A member state's noncompliance with the findings, decisions, or recommendations resulting from any ASEAN dispute settlement mechanism is likewise referable to the ASEAN Summit for a decision. Many of the charter institutions were thus built on the existing administrative linkages of ASEAN as a regional cooperation. The key difference between these institutions and their pre-charter predecessors is a matter of mandate. At the most localized level of the ASEAN bureaucracy, it is the ASEAN national secretariats that crucially serve as the national focal point and the repository of information on all ASEAN matters at the national level. The national secretariats continue their pre-charter functions of coordinating the implementation of ASEAN decisions in their respective Southeast Asian jurisdictions, while retaining a limited ability to influence the ASEAN Summit's agenda by coordinating and supporting the national preparations of ASEAN meetings as previous national secretariats had done when ASEAN was a regional cooperation. Other charter institutions that have also continued their functions from pre-charter ASEAN include the ASEAN communities, the ASEAN Office of the Secretary General, and the ASEAN Permanent Secretariat. The charter formally vests each ASEAN community community council, whether political security, economic, or sociocultural, with the authority to, and I quote, ensure the implementation of the relevant decisions of the ASEAN Summit, to coordinate internally with its operational sectors and externally with other community councils, as well as to submit reports and recommendations to the ASEAN Summit for its consideration and decision. The ASEAN Secretary General, on the other hand, now discharges de jure with the broader administrative complement and operational budget, what were its former pre-charter functions as de facto chief administrative officer, although he or she now has a fixed and non-renewable five-year term under the ASEAN Charter. The ASEAN Charter also created new institutions as part of the framework to implement all future ASEAN Summit decisions and to ensure compliance with the existing corpus of ASEAN law. 
it formally designated ASEAN sectoral ministerial bodies, which took over from the inter-ministry or inter-department linkages between Southeast Asian governments during pre-charter ASEAN, as well as an ASEAN coordinating council, as I said earlier, the institutional liaison between the ASEAN community councils. Consistent with ASEAN's formal organizational status, the Charter established a committee of permanent representatives to ASEAN that vested each representative with the rank of ambassador. Finally, an ASEAN human rights body was pre-authorized, whose terms of reference, as stated in the Charter, were to be determined by the ASEAN foreign minister's meeting. About two years after the passage of the Charter, ASEAN foreign ministers approved and issued the terms of reference for the ASEAN Intergovernmental Commission on Human Rights, or the AICHR. The Charter also encourages entities, state and non-state, to officially associate with ASEAN, accredits ambassadors from non-ASEAN states and intergovernmental organizations, and allows the ASEAN foreign ministers meeting to confer with non-ASEAN states, or rather to confer to non-ASEAN states, the formal status of dialogue partner, sectoral dialogue partner, development partner, special observer, guest, or any other status. ASEAN has extensive economic and political security partnerships with the ASEAN plus three, which is the group of China, Japan, and Korea. Also with the United States, with Europe, with Australia, Canada, India, Japan, Russia, New Zealand, among others. In sum, the charter-based ASEAN established functional competencies within the ASEAN bureaucracy, but not without attendant complications. As previously discussed, the Charter's design for the ASEAN Summit as the ASEAN's highest decision-making body combines ultimate legislative and executive powers in the organization with some quasi-judicial authority and dispute settlement between ASEAN members. While the ASEAN Summit functionally delegates various competences to the ASEAN Community Councils, the Charter clearly vests ultimate decision-making authority on the Southeast Asian heads of state that comprise the ASEAN Summit. Turning now to ASEAN dispute settlement options, regional, hybrid, and national. Dispute settlement options in ASEAN vary according to the nature of the dispute and the ASEAN treaty or instrument that provides for dispute settlement options. Disputes relating to specific ASEAN instruments are to be settled using the mechanisms and procedures provided in those instruments. Disputes that do not concern the interpretation or application of any ASEAN instrument are to be resolved in accordance with the 1976 Treaty of Amity and Cooperation in Southeast Asia and its rules of procedure. Unless otherwise specifically provided, Disputes on the interpretation or application of ASEAN economic agreements would be settled under the ASEAN Protocol on Enhanced Dispute Settlement Mechanism. The ASEAN Protocol on Enhanced Dispute Settlement Mechanism applies to covered ASEAN economic agreements that are listed in its Appendix 1, as well as an unspecified group of future economic agreements. 
It provides for a system of consultations and dispute settlement options such as good offices, conciliation, or mediation, as well as for the establishment of panels by the Senior Economic Officials Meeting, or the SIOM, at the request of any ASEAN member state. The ASEAN economic ministers are supposed to create an appellate body that would hear appeals from panel cases. However, many ASEAN economic agreements, especially the new ASEAN regional investment treaties, have not adopted the ASEAN protocol, but rather set out their own dispute settlement options. In the new ASEAN regional investment treaties, for example, such as the ASEAN Comprehensive Investment Agreement, the investment chapter of the ASEAN Australia New Zealand Free Trade Agreement, the ASEAN Korea Investment Agreement, the ASEAN China Investment Agreement, and the ASEAN India Investment Agreement, dispute settlement options range from consultations, conciliations, investor state arbitration, either ad hoc or institutionally administered through the International Center for Settlement of Investment Disputes, or ICSID, the Kuala Lumpur Regional Center for International Arbitration, or the Singapore International Arbitration Center, among others, and local adjudication before the national courts of the ASEAN member state involved. Finally, it should be noted that Article 25 of the ASEAN Charter provides, and I quote, where not specifically provided, appropriate dispute settlement mechanisms, including arbitration, shall be established for disputes which concern the interpretation and application of this charter and other ASEAN instruments. Any unresolved dispute, notwithstanding the application of charter procedures, will thus be referred to the ASEAN summit for its decision. In conclusion, ASEAN law is created from multiple sources, such as from the ASEAN charter, the new treaties and instruments concluded by ASEAN member states before the passage of the ASEAN Charter, and the new regional treaties being concluded under the ASEAN Charter era. While regional integration under the ASEAN Charter era seeks to create a single market and production base, the terms of integration depend heavily on the national implementation by ASEAN member states' courts and executive branches. Integration is not intended to be encompassing of all sectors, with ASEAN focusing initially on 12 priority sectors for integration, while steadily building cooperation on multiple economic, social, cultural, and political security fronts under the respective jurisdictions of the ASEAN pillar communities. Regional integration in Southeast Asia, as visualized in the ASEAN Charter, the ASEAN Economic Community Blueprint, and other related ASEAN instruments, is a move to consolidate 40 years of pre-existing intergovernmental, intersectoral, and horizontal cooperation between the various government agencies of the 10 Southeast Asian countries. While there are certainly more opportunities for verticalized rulemaking through the decisions of the ASEAN Summit, much will ultimately depend on the compliance efforts of the ASEAN member states. Under the ASEAN Charter, 
any member state who is affected by any other state's noncompliance with any findings, recommendations, or decisions resulting from any ASEAN dispute settlement mechanism may ultimately refer the matter to the ASEAN summit for a decision. ASEAN member states continue to possess rights of recourse to any of the modes of peaceful disp dispute settlement under Article 33.1 of the United Nations Charter or any other binding international legal instruments. Thus far, there is no single authoritative or comprehensive compilation of the jurisprudence interpreting ASEAN instruments. There are various arbitral awards that interpret ASEAN investment agreements. But in this first decade of the ASEAN Charter, so far there has not been a consolidated reporting of the national court jurisprudence of the ASEAN member states that would interpret ASEAN treaties and legal instruments. Neither is there any database or index of comparative ASEAN jurisprudence on national courts and arbitral tribunals' interpretations of international law as internalized in the ASEAN Charter. The dearth of these resources impede the possible progressive contributions of ASEAN law and jurisprudence to international law treaty-making practices and international dispute settlement. It is easier to accept these conflicting realities once one probes the constructivist history behind the creation of a Southeast Asian region. Unlike the predominantly shared religious, political, economic, social, and cultural histories of Europe, Southeast Asia was initially a fictive construct of states that had considerably different colonial and post-colonial experiences, political struggles, economic power, linguistic traditions, and religions. Southeast Asian states have had less than a century of re-experienced political sovereignty after their independence from imperial fetters. It was not coincidental that Jawaharlal Nehru's 1954 Bandung principles of mutual non-aggression, non-interference, and sovereign equality of states resound distinctly from ASEAN's 1976 Treaty of Amity and Cooperation and the 1967 Bangkok Declaration, and to some extent, the ASEAN Charter. In a region whose very identity appears more a product of choice rather than of inseparably intertwined histories, it is not difficult to see why Southeast Asian states would still keep principles of non-interference, respect for national sovereignty, as well as the Mushawara and Mufakat concepts in the ASEAN Charter. Even as the Charter embraces more internationalist principles and norms. The litmus test for international legality in a charter-based ASEAN depends on the calibrated interpretation of those above previously mentioned principles in the implementation of ASEAN law and international law. Implementation will depend on the concerted efforts of the ASEAN Summit, the ASEAN Community Councils, and other charter bodies with national governments and domestic courts. The authoritative and constitutive bases for ASEAN decisions are defined not just by the formal legal instruments that comprise 40 years' worth of ASEAN law, the continued issuance of ASEAN legislation through the ASEAN summit decisions and new treaties being concluded by ASEAN states, but also 
from the operational practices or operational codes of states and non-state actors on established intergovernmental networks as well as non-governmental cooperative frameworks. The robust proliferation of ASEAN lawmaking certainly gives the impression that in Southeast Asia's unique model of regional integration, ASEAN's contributions to international law norms will far outpace its own institutional and structural developments, as well as its possible future jurisprudential contributions through its processes of international legal harmonization, international law and ASEAN law interpretation by ASEAN member states' national courts, ASEAN arbitral tribunals, and other dispute settlement options.